Hope, hope is a powerful word, isn't it? It's, it's a powerful word, but I would, I would say to you this morning too, at times it's a little bit of a, maybe a misused or misunderstood word at times, or, or maybe, maybe that's not the right way to say it. Maybe we just use it in a way that doesn't really give it its full meaning and its full power. You know, and we say things like, I hope my team gets in the college football playoff, you know. But then at the same time, we say, I hope that Jesus Christ is going to come again. Or I hope that girl really likes me. Or I hope I don't say the wrong thing. Or I hope. It's one of those words that kind of seems to have, man, a whole lot of different weights to it, if you will. Sometimes we use it in a very light way. Sometimes we use it in a very heavy way. But hope is a very powerful word. As a matter of fact, yesterday, when we were participating in the Weatherford Christmas Parade, uh, I, I saw a lot of hope. And here's what hope looked like. It's like kids going, you ever seen that? They're, they're just hanging out in the street just looking because what they're hoping is they're hoping that one of those floats that passes has some good stuff that they're giving out to that thing. That's hope. That's anticipation. You saw it all over the place. By the way, we won first place with the float, so good job to our children's ministry. Um, and thank you, Brittany, and her leadership, and those of you who helped her out with that, so, and all the kids who rode on it and did a great job with that. But, boy, that's what hope looked like. You, you, the streets were lined with people that were just kind of this neck craning out and, the, and this just looking, just hoping that something was going to come along that was going to be fun for them. And the verse that was read even this morning that Miss Faith Kettle did a wonderful job with, she said that in Isaiah 9-2, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light, on those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And what this verse is talking about, it was a prophetic word spoken to the people of Israel promising the coming Messiah. And so in a point in time in the nation's history, when it was dark, when it seemed far away from God, when, when we couldn't see a path forward, there was a word of hope that was spoken, that was saying you'll see a great light. The light is coming. It gives you something to look forward to. So hope is one of those things that drives us deep down inside. And this prophetic word that was spoken to the people of Israel about the coming of Jesus, it happened, right? The light did dawn. The light is still shining. We know that because we're at this point in history's timeline when we know that Jesus Christ was born in a manger in Bethlehem, and that they did see a light that is shining. And so because of that, and because of so many other examples in Scripture, we know that the words of God are true. And that's where we find our hope. We still today wait again in hopeful expectation of Jesus' arrival for his second coming. And so hope is something that drives us. You know, I also believe that hope is so powerful. I've I've noticed this, as you deal with people with different situations in life, I would say that one of the most powerful things in their life that keeps them going and moving forward is hope. Because if you ever run across a person who's lost hope in something, it's, it's, just, it's just so hard. And there's almost nothing you can do for the person except just step back and wait for something else to happen. Because if there is no hope, then there's really, there's no purpose, there's no motivation, there's no energy, there's no strength, there's no anything, there's no hope. Hope 
is incredibly powerful. I want us to look at the words of Paul in Romans chapter 8 today about hope. And I want to put it in context for us where we are on the historical timeline and the role that hope plays in the life of a Christian. Starting in Romans chapter 8 verse 22, Paul writes these words. He says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. So what is the hope of a Christian? What is the hope of a person who has professed faith and is following Jesus Christ? What drives this hope? You see, the hope of a Christian within that, there, there's a tension that lives. And it's this tension between the already, we see that Christ has come already. He was born in a manger in Bethlehem. He lived a perfect sinless life. He died on the cross, was buried, and three days later he rose again. And so we, we see that hope has already come, that Christ has already come, and that his kingdom has already been established. But yet it's not yet fully been established, has it? And so there's this tension between the already aspect of what Christ has done and the not yet aspect of what is coming. And that's this tension that you live in as a follower of Jesus Christ. And the only thing that helps temper that tension in our life is the hope that we find in Jesus Christ and in his words. You see, we know that if we have given our heart and our life to Jesus, that we already have everything that we need for both this life and the life that is to come. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, it spells it out this way. It says, His divine power, God's divine power, has given us everything that we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. And through these, he's given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Those are very powerful words. When Peter writes, he says, God has given us everything that we need. But yet we know, right? Just by living life, we know that by looking in our heart, we know by experiencing life with those around us that this life is not everything. We know that. And we know that this world is not everything. And even though we as a believer can trust that God has given us everything that we need, we understand at the same time that we have not fully received it, right? Because there's none of us who would walk around that profess to be a believer in Jesus Christ that say, I've reached perfection. I am done. Look at me. This is awesome, isn't it? Because we know that we have not reached 
that point yet. But yet, Scripture teaches us so clearly that we have everything that we need to actually live in that place where we're right with God. So that's that tension that we live in. And I love this time of year because there's a perfect example of this. It's like a gift. It's like a gift that's been wrapped, and it's got your name on it, and it's sitting under the Christmas tree. And I ask this question every year. As soon as that, as soon as that gift is bought and wrapped and your name on it, and it's under the tree, it's your gift, isn't it? You don't yet fully possess it, but it's yours. There's nothing else to the gift that needs to be done. It is Full and it is complete. And that's what this verse is saying. God's work is full and complete. He has done and he has given us everything that we need for life and godliness. But yet, we have not fully embraced it yet because that time has not yet come. And so it's this tension that lives back and forth. And that may be a struggle for us at times because we've been... We've been looking forward to this, and we've been wanting this, and we so badly at times want that gift, but we realize, man, we just can't have it yet. You ever had that moment? I'll never forget. Timothy was about two years old, and we thought, we'll just wrap these gifts. We'll put it under the tree. He doesn't know any different. We're in the kitchen washing dishes one day, and we hear, a keyboard. And we're like, well, it was about two weeks before Christmas. And we took the keyboard out and said, well, here you go, son, because you already know what it is. Man, when that gift is sitting there, you just want to move forward. You want to move toward it. And like a gift that's sitting there, you hope the time's going to come soon when you get to fully embrace it, right? That's our hope. That's how we live. But Peter's words also tell us something very unique in there. He says what God has given us is a promise. What God has given us is a promise. Now, I'm going to just be honest for just a moment. We've lived life, right? We've had promises made to us in the past, right? And those promises didn't get fulfilled. And I, I, I don't want to pick on anybody, but there's a relative of mine that if everything that they ever said they were going to give me shows up in the mail one day, that's going to be pretty awesome. <laughs> because it was always, oh, I'm going I'm to send this to you. Okay, that's great. Oh, I've got one of these. I want to give you one. All right, awesome. And never showed up. You know, so we've all lived in this world where there's been promises made that people have fallen short on. But here's, here's the deal. God's word is true. God's word is true. You can bet your life on it that God's word is true. And when God makes a promise, that promise will come to fulfillment. And that's where we put our hope as a Christian. We also live at such a wonderful place in the historical timeline that we get to see the stories of God's faithfulness. And we, unlike these who have gone before us, quite honestly, don't have to have quite as much faith. Because we've got the proof sitting there that God has been faithful over and over and over. Not just in his word, but if you will stop and pause for just a minute, I guarantee that you can think about your life and you can see how God has been faithful over and over and over again. And so there's no reason for us not to hope and put our faith in Christ when he has made a promise it will come true. But what does this hope for us then look like? It's, it's really kind of simple. We have hope for this life and we have hope for the life to come. Hope for this life. It's this. We believe. You know, some of you are wondering, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ? So many times we talk about, well, if you'll, if you'll just 
pray this prayer and, you know, God will come into your heart. I'll just tell you something. That praying a prayer is part of it, believing that, that God is there is part of it. But it's really about following God. It's about coming to that place in your life when you say, God, I believe that your word and the things that you've done for us, when I choose to live my life by your standard, doing the things that you've put out there, even though sometimes it seems totally opposite than what everybody else is telling me to do, I trust that, God, if I live in your law and in your way, that my life will be lived to the fullest. That's the hope that we have in this life. Now, don't get me wrong, it's a struggle. It's a struggle for all of us. And, and, and you may have it down pat in some areas, but I guarantee there's other areas in your life where you go, I don't know how to really follow God in this area of my life. And that's this process that we have, that we are growing in our faith in Christ. But we have to believe, we have to put our hope in the fact that God's word is true, and if we follow God's word in our lives, then we will experience the best life that we possibly could in this life, in this world, right now, today. You don't have to wait for eternity to begin to experience the fullness of life that God has for you. That is our hope in him. But the truth is, to experience that life, have you ever run into something where it says in God's word that, you know, you should do things this way even though you feel like you should do it this way? Uh, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you? No, I'd rather not, thank you. You know, give the first fruits of your offering, bring it to the storehouse of God and see him. No, I'll keep it for myself, thanks. You know, forgive if you want to be forgiven, not so much. We all struggle with these type of things, but we have to believe that God's word is true, and we have to then, here's a word, discipline ourselves to follow it. You realize that the word discipline and disciple, they, they kind of go hand in hand, right? It's what it means to be a disciple of Christ, it means that I'm going to discipline myself to do the things that he has called me to do. Hebrews 12, 11 says it this way, pretty plainly, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Amen. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Why in the world would we discipline ourselves? Because we hope that it's going to bring about a harvest of righteousness, a better life than what we have today. We put our hope in God's word when we actually follow it, not just when we believe it, but when we actually do it and live it out. That's where our hope is for this life. But we also have hope for eternal life. You know, there's a hope that what is on the other side of this temporary life, that's what's on the other side of this discipline is absolutely worth it. And the words that Paul used here in Romans chapter 8 that we read earlier, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. Now, I'm going to be real careful with this because I've never been in labor. And I know not the pains of childbirth, nor would I ever compare anything that I have pained in my life to the pains of childbirth. I'm a wise man, see? I've learned some of these things. And I'll tell you, since she's not here, that we have two children and neither has my wife experienced the pains of childbirth. She's just been, we just went in after him. We just cut it open and went, here, give him out there. That's, that was it. But I, I will tell you that though I haven't experienced the pains of childbirth, I've experienced the anticipation of what lies on the other side of it. 
that, man, I'm sorry you have to go through this, but boy, I'm ready to see my son. Man, I'm, I'm sorry that this has to happen, but I can't wait for my daughter to get here. I love this illustration that Paul says. Creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth, meaning that we understand that the pain that we're going through, but we're looking forward to what God is going to do to redeem it. And it says in verse 23, not only so, but we ourselves, who are the first fruit of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly. Now, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly. What, what do you mean by that? You see, I, I, I'm convinced of this, and a lot of people don't tell you this about following Christ, so I just want to be honest with you about following Christ. One of the things that happens when you begin to follow Christ is you get very frustrated. You get very frustrated because you all of a sudden have this clear understanding and this clear picture of what life is really supposed to be like. That there was a God who loved us so much that he, he created us, he formed us, he shaped us, and he, he put us on this earth and allowed us to, to manage and care for his creation. And he put us here so that it would bring fulfillment to us and connection with others and glory to him. And there was this perfect plan and you realize this sounds awesome. And then you get very frustrated because you go, but man, we're not doing that. I'm not even doing that. And you realize how far away we are from God's perfect plan. And so we look forward to a hope for eternal life. Why? Because it's in the eternal life. It's when Christ comes again or it's when we go to meet him that we begin to experience life as it was intended to be in Christ. And as a result of knowing this, you see, the spirit that lives inside of us, it actually increases our frustration of we're not meeting God's standard. We're not being the people that he wants us to be. And there's a yearning and a longing inside of us to actually do that. So what is it that we're waiting for? And what is it that we're hoping for as a Christian? I mean, we're hoping for the redemption of this body, for something to come and make all this right and help it to make sense. And God, I want to know you and follow you and experience this with all my life. That's the hope that we have. And the very nature of hope is this. That we wait. <laughs> and we work mm, for that which we cannot yet see. That's the nature of hope. That we wait, which is difficult. And we work, which is sometimes difficult, for that which we do not yet see. You know, go to any sports team. And ask him if that's true. We see it in stuff like that. Why can't we see it in our own walk with Christ? You see, when we begin to have confidence that what God says is true, then that's when the waiting and that's when the work becomes the fullness of life. And we say, okay, God, this is worth it. I can do this. I put my hope in you. And so, therefore, everything that I experience in this, in this world and in the world to come is worth it because I have put my hope, and my faith in you. So I just want to ask you this question today. Where is your hope? Isaiah 9, 2, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. We've seen that light, guys. His name is Jesus. And we wait 
in anticipation that he will come again. Would you pray with me this morning? If you are living a life without hope, or hope that is directed in something other than Jesus Christ, then my prayer for you today would be that you would refocus your hope and that you would put it squarely on the person of Jesus Christ because his word is true and he is faithful and he will see you through. And he'll provide true hope and true peace and true joy through your relationship with him. And it does begin with a moment of decision, a drawing a line in the sand, if you will, and say, from this day forward, I'm going to give my heart and my life to Christ, and I'm going to do everything I can to pursue Him because I'm putting my hope in Him. And if you have never made that decision, I would encourage you to do that today. You can just begin with a simple prayer that says, God, I want to follow you. Right where you sit, you can pray these words. God, I want to follow you. I want to put my hope in you because I understand that you have given me everything that I need for this life and the life to come. And so God, help me to pursue you.